powerful moments I've ever experienced in my life. And for the first time ever, I thought about the words. We talked about this some last Wednesday night. That moment when you have the revelation of something. You have, a, you have a, an epiphany. You have a breakthrough. And it could be something that you've thought about or processed many times. Well, I want, us to, I want to read it first, and then we're going to sing it. But put the, put the words up, guys. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to look at um, the... Uh, hey, that was nice. Did you? All right. <laughs> uh, I, I just want you to read it. I'm going to read it out loud. You, I guess you can read it out loud with me. But I want you to think about what the words are saying. Okay? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Do, 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 you, do you think, are you hearing the, there's a call to action in this song? That I think sometimes these things escape us. Okay, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That's, that's a, to me, that is a powerful theological statement that he makes the nations prove these things about him. The nations prove this. Okay, go back to the beginning. We're just going to sing the very first uh, one together, Okay. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature now this this is the question that gets me about this song things that we say you know jesus is the reason for the season all of these kind of things this is what gets me about this 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 song says that joy to the world because jesus has come uh, we we say things like uh, peace on earth goodwill to men so here's the question that i have and this this whole last week has made me process this in so many different ways. That just because, so, so let me ask it this way. Is there, is there joy right now in the world? Is there joy right now, let's just say, in Congress? Is there joy right now? Because the song says, and I believe it's a theological statement of truth, that when Jesus comes, there's joy, that, that when he is born into the manger, joy is now here. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But when we look across our nation, that's not what's going on. When, when we look across our, our world, that's not what's going on. So why? Why, if Jesus is here and, and he brings joy, why is that not happening? Now, um, I think if you begin to process, process this on an individual basis, all of a sudden, you, you, you realize the answer. Peace is not something that is a blanket that covers. Joy is not something that, that moves across society because Jesus was born. 
peace, joy, those things, they, they happen individually and internally. They, they don't, there, there's not peace across the world because Jesus is here. And I, I don't think when you really unpack some of the things that Jesus says, in fact, Jesus says that he came and, and when he came that, there, that he puts enmity between groups of people, specifically family members. He says that, that, and that um, you, you literally have to, not in, not in a relational sense, but in a heart sense, you are, you are going to have to, in relationship to how you love Jesus, not love your family. Now, he's not saying don't love your family. He's saying in relationship to how much you love Jesus and Jesus being put first, all these other things, that, that the way you interact with other people is like you don't even care about them compared to how much you love Jesus Christ. That there's going to be enmity. That, that sometimes family members will sell out other family members when they accept Jesus Christ. And we see that in different religious groups. So, so even, even Jesus, when he says he came to bring peace, that that doesn't happen just because he steps into the, a situation, to a city, into a, into a moment or a time. That Sometimes when he brings peace into my heart, it can cause enmity between me and other people. Right? And that, that's, that literally is what we're seeing going on in our country right now. I really don't believe that what we saw this week was anti-Trump. Okay, I, Some of you may never have processed this. If, if, if whoever was put into the White House was a strong conservative, which there really weren't a lot out there to choose from, but if they were a strong conservative, same thing would have happened. You understand that? Because we are at a point in our country where we have gone so far that spiritually Satan, the, the, the shackles are kind of off, and Satan is, is, he is out for blood. And he's going to tear down anything that has anything, anything whatsoever to do with some kind of morality, some kind of uh, godly stance, some kind of anything, something to do. That, that I, I believe that one of the things that has made Satan the maddest is some of the stuff that we're doing in Israel right now, putting the embassy in Jerusalem. stuff. I think that stuff drives Satan crazy, and he's not going to stop. He's got the power, he's got the, the taste for blood, and he is going to continue to tear us down. And it does not matter who's in the White House, it doesn't matter who's in Congress and Senate, any of these kind of things. Satan is on a tear right now. And, and the only way that we as a country can stop this is, is to, for us to personalize what Jesus came to this earth to do. N not, not generalize, and that's, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest traps that the church falls into is we try to generalize who Jesus is. We try to generalize Christianity. We try to generalize it, and that leads churches to thinking that it's better for somebody just to come to church than actually be transformed by the truth of the gospel. Because we're generalizing. There's love. Jesus is love. Okay, but what does that mean personally? Not what does it mean generally. What does it mean personally? Well, well, well Jesus is salvation. Okay, but what does that mean personally? Well, Jesus is peace. But, but that's not true unless it's personal. Jesus came to bring joy. That's not true unless it's personal. And the world does not change as long as we're general and we just want people to know what we believe. Well, we believe that Jesus is God, okay? But that's general. What does that mean for the individual? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, And she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is, this is one of those statements. 
that we, we know this intuitively, but I don't think that, that we always, I'm saying as the church, I don't think we always do a good job of applying this. We know it, but we don't think it through to the point of specifically for a person. What does it mean when it says that, that he will save people from their sins? Jesus dying on the cross doesn't mean that every person that's ever lived will be saved. It doesn't mean that. And we, we do not believe around here in some kind of limited atonement where Jesus only died for some people. We believe Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody is saved. Jesus came to save the sins of people. But as long as we make that general, it never becomes specific and it never becomes individualistic. Jesus came to save whose sins? My sins. He came to save you from your sins. Not, not the world. Obviously, that's a true statement, but you understand what I'm saying. As long as we make it general, as long as we... I, I, the book that we went through um, a, a few months ago with Francis Chan on Wednesday nights, he, he said one of the most powerful statements in that book that I, I think I've ever heard. If, I, if that was the only thing I got out of the whole book, it would have been worth it for me. But he says the church has got to start thinking about how people will feel on Judgment Day rather than how they feel on a Sunday morning. That's, that's the opposite of the way the American church thinks right now. We're much more concerned with whether everybody's happy or pleased or embraced or whatever on a Sunday morning. And we're leaving the most important thing out, which is Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to save us. He didn't come to just bring a good Christmas story. He came to save you. He came to save me. He came to save us. Verse 22, and this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. We talked about this some on Wednesday night. Do you, do you believe that statement? I'm, I'm saying virgin, that she had never been with a man. That's the way Luke says it. Do you believe that? Because to me, I, I've heard some people say, well, it doesn't matter whether um, he was born of a virgin or not. That's, that's just the church seems to harp on that, but it's not that big of a deal. I can still believe in Jesus and not believe in that. Really? Because if he, if he wasn't born of a virgin, you're just believing in some Jewish dude 2,000 years ago. There was a lot of those. Which one changed the world? Which one can die for your sins? Because only somebody that did not come through the seed of a man, but could only come from a woman supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. Why is that such a big deal? Because if he comes through the seed of a man, then he is part of the sin culture. He's part of this. But the fact that he didn't come through the seed of a man and he only came through a woman supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit gives him the ability to die for our sins. And no other human could ever do that. Because no other human will ever, has ever been sin free. We came through the seed of a man. I was, I was saying this years ago. Lynn and I were early married. I was saying something like that. She said, so... Men are the, the sin issue in this world. I was like, I don't think that's what I was saying. I don't know. I can't really argue with that. I can't, I don't have any good, I got nothing, but no. That's, that was my argument, no. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, this is, this is the cool thing about that statement. That's true regardless of whether anybody ever embraces him. He is with us. 
Like it or not, he's with us. Serve him or not, he's with us. Now, why, why, why is that important? Why am I saying it like that? Because I, I, there was a moment in my life, this was quite a few years ago, but there was a moment in my life when I did not want to serve him, but then I did. He was with me. Before, during, after. He was with me. And if he wouldn't have been with me, I could not have made that decision to serve him. You can never get away from the love of Christ. You can never get too, you can't get too far out there. You can't, you, you can't push him far enough away. He's always going to be there. He's always going to be loving. That doesn't mean you're, you're always saved or always serving him. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a totally different subject. But he is always right there. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He will always be God with you. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, he will always be God with you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. I have been thinking about that sentence so much for the last two or three weeks. The government will rest on his shoulders. Not on somebody else's shoulders. Not on, not on some government leader's shoulders. It's not going to rest on the Congress or the Senate or anything else. It's going to rest on the shoulders of Jesus. The government rests on his shoulders. This is, this is something else that I think is extremely important. And this, I really believe this is the number one reason that people, not why Satan has been doing what he's been doing and happened this week, but why people are doing this. The, the, the left in this country is scared to death that we will the, the, the next two Supreme Court justices are going to change the game. I mean totally change the game in our country in, in a way that we haven't seen since the 60s. And that's what they're scared of. Because why? For the first time since the 60s into the 70s, we could actually be bringing Roe versus Wade back to the Supreme Court with a legitimacy to stop the murdering of babies. And that's what they're scared of. That's what they are scared of. This says that our government rests on the shoulders of Jesus. And Jesus will get stuff done. And I, I, to me, I don't... I, I really don't care who he uses. I really don't. I, I was having this conversation with my son, my oldest. Um, he's kind of a I hate Trump guy, although he voted for him. But he, I, and, I, and I didn't, but either way, so, I mean, I did later, but you know what I'm saying. So, um, but we were discussing this, and uh, I said, he wasn't, in the primaries, he wasn't my guy. And, and, he, and I said, but he's the president now. But dad, this, and I said, Okay, here's, here's what I would like. As a Christian, as a Christian, name something that he has done policy-wise, um, directional, that, that you think was wrong as a Christian. He said, well, I said, okay, as a Christian that loves Israel, name something he's done that's wrong. Well, Dad, the tweets, whatever. Name something he's done. Name something he's done. See, this is one of the things. I know people think he's a Christian. I don't think he's a Christian. I don't. I don't. I don't care. But either way, he's done more for the Christian community than any of the presidents in the last 50 years. Why does the Christian community not see this? 
He has given us rights back we did not have. He, he's done so much stuff, and he is a friend to Israel in a way that we haven't seen in decades and decades and decades. Why? Because I believe this. I, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm jumping so much political, but I don't think what I'm saying is political. I think what I'm saying is that these are spiritual things. The government of the United States is upon the shoulders of Jesus. And Jesus will work, and he will work. And it's not instant. It doesn't happen overnight. But, but I believe the church was so lazy and silent for years. But the last, the last decade, the church has said, wait a second. Something's wrong, and we've got to stop. We've got to stop what we're doing. And I believe people begin to pray. And I think that's the key is prayer. It's, it, voting is important, but prayer is more important. And we begin to pray, and we begin to pray. And I believe that the government rests upon the shoulders of the one who can do this. And I think that we're going to see over the next three or four years, we're going to see the Holy Spirit do something. I believe we've got some turmoil in front of us. I believe we've got some fight in front of us. But I believe at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is going to show how big he is. And he's going to do some things that, that the church, the, the true church, the people of God, not not the fake church, but people that are really hungry for God are going to say, that's good. It may not be good politically, it may not be good, but the church will realize this is the Holy Spirit doing this. Why? Let me read it again. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us, that's Jesus. The government will rest on his shoulders. All government, you understand that's all encompassing, all governments everywhere are going to rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. This, this is another statement that, that, that doesn't just happen. Wonderful counselor. The, the, even the word counselor lets me realize that that's not something that just happens unless I am open to it, unless something that I open my heart, my mind, and I embrace that mentality. Jesus cannot counsel me unless I am looking for it, unless I am needing it, unless I am ready for it or desirous of it. He is the wonderful counselor. But is he your counselor? Is he my counselor? Is he, this, this is the difference between the general and specific. Is he your counselor? He was born. He came to this earth. But is he your counselor? Is this something for you? That he is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those things will always be. Those will always be. But here it is again. Is he your mighty God? You say, well, he's everybody's God. It doesn't matter. That's true. And someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. But that's the too late moment. What about right now? Is he your God right now? His government and its peace will never end. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. Again, God with us. God with us. Think about this. God with us. Now let me, go, let me go over some of these again. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. So here's the question that I have. Where is the peace and the joy? Now, I would hope and believe, and we're going we're gonna to pray about this. We're going to pray for each other this morning. We're going to do a little different. But I would hope and believe that every single one of us here really do have 
the peace of the Lord in your heart. I, 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 do, I do hope that. Okay, but he, here's what we're going to do. Before we leave here, we're going to pray, Jesus, you be my God. Because that's how you get the peace of God. You don't get the peace of God by asking for peace. Okay? You get the peace of God by letting God be your God. I talked about this off and on over the last few months a few different ways. I'm going to do an entire series on this coming up after the first of the year because I've had so many questions about this. That To me, this was kind of a thing, and I said it, but I've had a lot of questions about this. But this is something that, that, that I, I, I don't see anywhere that the church world is talking about or, or books about or whatever. But guys, this, if you'll just look at the fruits of the Spirit from this perspective, each one builds on the one before it. You cannot have one down the line unless you have the others above it. Everything goes systematically through the fruits of the Spirit. This is why when people, this is the example people always give. Well, I'm caught in traffic and God's trying to teach me patience. That's not how that works. First, the, the only thing God teaches me when I'm caught in traffic is how can you mount a Gatling gun on the side of your car? That's the only, that's the teaching that I'm getting at that particular moment. How, how many of you are like, that is a nice idea. I've never thought about that. I'm, a, I'm an ideas guy. So you don't, you don't get patience from being caught in traffic. You get patience by starting with love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us everything else, everything else has to be built upon love. Everything, fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, everything has to be built upon love. Well, what does love bring? If you're truly in love with God and you're letting Him love Him, it brings joy. You see what I'm saying? As you get down through this, you, you, you don't get patience. You don't, you've got to have these in the order that gets. When you have joy, you have peace. You can't have peace in your spirit unless you've got the joy of the Lord in your spirit. And sometimes we'll even reverse that. And I understand that sometimes it's just semantics. But we'll say, you know, my joy comes from the peace of the Lord. That is not scripturally the way that, that the Lord says that. Your peace, your inner peace, comes from the joy of the Lord because you know you love him and he loves you. All of that fits together. And, and we'll do the same thing when, when we just throw these blanket statements out that Jesus came to bring peace. He did not come to bring peace on this earth in a nation sense, in a general sense. He came to bring peace on this earth in your soul. That's how he does it. Now, obviously, this would be an easy, it's not going to happen, but it would be an easy understanding. If all of us let the Holy Spirit into our lives, I'm saying not us, us too, but the world, if we let the Holy Spirit into our lives and give us revelation of Jesus Christ, then there would be peace on, in nations too. Nation to nation would be peaceful. But the Lord came to bring peace in your soul, in my soul. That's what he came to do. So Colossians chapter 9, <clears throat> we're going to look at, at these two, peace, joy. Colossians chapter, nine, uh, ver, chapter 1 verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. That's the start of everything. That, that God is reconciling you and I to himself through what? Through Jesus Christ. 
It's through Jesus that I get relationship with God. It's through Jesus that I get forgiveness. It's through Jesus that I get eternity with God. It's through Jesus that all these things happen. Now look at this in the next sentence. So, so the order is important here. The order is always important in Scripture. Okay? That, that's why it's important sometimes to do a little studying to see, is this the order that it was originally written in? Sometimes we change it from, into English and stuff like that. Figure it out. Go back and look at it. Because the order makes a whole lot of sense. The, the fruits of the Spirit would not be the same if they were in a different order. It would be wrong. It would be incorrect if they were in a different order. Okay, that's important. Everything is reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The next sentence. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He made peace with, this is even a creation sense. I, I've spent time talking about this. It's not for this morning. But, but this is even in a creation sense that Jesus reconciled the planet back to him through his blood on the cross. He reconciled all of the, 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 the way that we twisted and hurt the planet even through uh, sin. This is, this is why environmentalism is such a big thing because they try to subvert this scripture. That I can reconcile the planet back to me by not having a, a, a SUV. Right? Does he seem like casual things, but it is a direct attack on this mentality. Jesus reconciles the planet and every single human being back to himself. He brings peace to those things through his blood. It is, it is the reconciliation of us to God that establishes the peace in our life. This, this is... This is why there's so, much, there's so much discussion, there's so much debate going on in the church world right now with uh, suicide and with depression and all these other kind of things. And, and here's one of the basic foundations that we seem to be missing. I don't think there is a disconnect. I think there is a direct correlation between the fact that the church is not about Jesus saving us from our sins and transforming us like we used to be and depression running ranks through the ministry. Those, those are directly connected. The reason that there is so much depression and everything going on through the ministry, this is, this is the foundation, it's not the total, but it's the foundation, is because we've taken our eyes off the cross and off the blood of Jesus being the key to the whole thing. It's not church growth, it's not plans, it's not how much money, it's not how many people you get in the building, it's all that kind of that, that will That will drive you crazy and you will go into depression as a pastor. I have done it because of that. But when we put our eyes back on the cross, and it's about the blood of Jesus Christ saving you and saving me, now, when I get up here, there's purpose. When we plan things, there's purpose. And the purpose is not get more people in the building. The purpose is you and I can know Jesus, and we can be saved, and we can tell somebody else that needs to be saved. I, I had a I had it. Yeah, I agree. Who, who, give me another one of those. All right. So, I, I had a conversation, a very interesting conversation, um, just yesterday. And it's this guy I've been developing a relationship with. It's, it's a long story, but um, very unchurched. Uh, but, but, but he's opened his whole life up for me to be able to step in and minister to him, do some things. So I've been doing that. And um, it's a strange thing, but so 
we were texting back and forth yesterday, and, um, and, and we were talking about this, and I said something about uh, religiosity or religion. And he said, and I said, well, these people don't go to church, but they're very religious. He said, how can that be? And he said, don't religious people go to church? Well, it gave me the opportunity to say what I was leading to. There's a reason I was saying what I was saying. And I said, well, religiosity to me, religious, to me is a very pejorative term. It's not a positive term. I don't use that in a positive way. I, I know I've said this before. I absolutely love the sound of little babies that cry like that. Don't you love that? Especially when they go, gah, 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 gah. I love that. I, okay. I digress. So I, I was telling him religious is not a good thing. Religious says, I go to church, I go by the rules, or I make really religious. Most of the time makes everybody else go by the rules. Most religious people don't go by the rules. They make others. Right? It's called legalism. It's called being a jerk. It's those kind of things. But religious is not a good term. And I said, to, I, I told him, I said, the, the difference for me is my whole life is about Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to love him. I want to know him. I want to give myself to him. It's not about religion. This is not a religion that I have. This is a relationship, and it's all about Jesus. And the discussion went really well after that. He asked a lot of questions. He said, I've never heard it said like that. As religion doesn't help anybody. Religion is destructive. Now, this is where, this is where I, I agree with some of the voices out there that I usually put up on the screen and disagree with. There are a bunch of atheists in different groups that say that religion is harmful to the planet, and I agree. I, I think that religion is the most harmful thing on the planet. But relationship with Jesus is not religion. I want to know Jesus. I want his blood to make me right with God. I want his blood to change me. I want the peace of God, which goes beyond natural understanding, to guard my mind and my heart, the way I think and the way I feel. And I want him to do that all the time. That's a supernatural thing. That's a transcendent thing. That's not limited to time and space. But it is limited to one thing, and this is the point of this. It's limited to whether I reach out to him. If I don't reach out to him, I'm not made right with God. If I don't reach out to him, I, I don't have the blood covering. Now, we just read earlier, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. That means he's standing right here. We don't have to reach far. Uh, Acts chapter 17, I think it says uh, something about that uh, we are... Um, that we are uh, uh, feeling our way in the dark toward God, but God will always make sure that we find him. I, I, I love that statement. He does want you to reach out. He does want you to search. He does want you to, to hunger and desire and to chase after him, but he's, he's God with you. He's standing right there. You don't have to reach far. It's one word, Jesus, right there. But, but, but you still got to do that. The peace of God comes from knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ has saved me. That, that's, that's the point of this. Joy, let's look at that. Psalms 32. Uh, by the way, I had a bunch of scriptures down here. A bunch. And I, and I just took it to one. 
Okay? Here's what I would like you to do. You're sitting around bored during Christmas. You're tired of Cousin It talking. Pull out your phone and, 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 and just search all the times joy is mentioned in Psalms. Just Psalms. And read those scriptures. Man, some, some depth there. Some, some supernatural depth that, that the psalmist, two different psalmists, really take us down these roads. What, what joy is. What that means. How the psalmist depicts this into our life. This is just one of those scriptures. Psalms 32 verse 1. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. That's huge. Can there be anything better than that on this planet? Can there be anything better? What joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. I love that. That he, he promises me that through the blood of Jesus Christ that my sins will be forgiven, that they will be completely pushed away from me never to be remembered again. I, 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 was, I caught myself doing this, driving around, doing, running some errands, shopping, Christmas shopping yesterday, and I caught myself thinking about this because I was raised this way. I was raised this way. I'd heard this so many times. It is difficult for me to, to push it aside and to, to realize what Scripture actually says. I was raised. I'd heard this a hundred times growing up, that, that someday you're going to be standing in front of uh, Jesus at the great white throne of judgment, and it's going to be like a big movie screen, and all the stuff of your life, all your sin is going to be displayed there in front of everybody. Anybody else ever hear anything like that growing up? Except that Scripture says that when I'm forgiven, my sins are washed away, completely pushed as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Now, I do a good job of remembering them and bringing them up. In fact, I was doing some contemplating this last week. I, 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 I know, I'm, I'm obsessive about these things. My brain never stops. But I came up with three major issues in my life that I would like to go back and change. Anybody else ever done anything like that? I, three, I, I've narrowed it down to three. And they all, all three of them have to do with Something I said or the way I treated my kids. I've been amazingly good to Linda. <laughs> Her three are probably not. But, but the, the process, do you realize that Jesus doesn't do that to us? He forgives us. When we are covered with the blood of Jesus... That we know Jesus loves us. We know that his love covers us with his blood. When we know that, then we can have joy. We can have joy deep inside. It doesn't mean you're always happy, but you can have joy. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. And this is, this is one of the plagues that we've even allowed to bring into the church, is that we confuse happiness with joy. And we think the job of the church is to bring happiness. It is not. The job of the church, the job of the body of Christ, is to help people get joy. Because joy will, will carry them when the happiness is up and down. The same thing I was talking last week about 
The difference between fairness and justice. Fairness is a joke. Fairness is how you define. Justice is defined by only one, God. You can define happiness any way you want, but God defines joy. And it comes through his love. Then I can have peace. That's, that's, that's where my peace comes from. Let me read this again. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are in complete honesty. So here's, here's the key. Jesus brought joy to the world. Jesus brought peace and goodwill to all humankind. But we're the carriers, and that's the key. We're the carriers. The only way somebody's going to know joy is if we tell them about Emmanuel. The only way they're going to know joy is when they know that God is with us. The only way they can know that is somebody tell them. That's what Hebrews tells us, what Romans tells us. The only way that somebody can know is that we tell them. So peace, now, this is not a huge, crazy jump. Although Jesus brings peace, peace cannot come to others unless we carry it. That's, that's an overgeneralization, but that's true. We're the carriers of peace. We're the carriers of joy. Because why? And this is where the foundation comes back to, to Galatians 5.22 and also 1 Corinthians 13. Because we love like Jesus loved. When we love like Jesus loves, somebody can have joy. They can get it. They can understand that Jesus loves them. How? Because they see his love in us. This is why it is so important every single day how we think about people, how we treat people, how we talk to people. The love of Christ comes through us to other people, which brings the joy, which brings the peace. Now, I want you to stay sitting where you are for the next two hours. No, just... You're going to pray for somebody you're sitting beside right now. Is there anybody that is sitting completely by themselves? No, I don't see that. Yes, Rob, I need you to move somewhere, Rob. It doesn't matter. Okay, you got, you got somebody that cares about you. That was beautiful, Barry. This is, this is what Christmas is, people, right here. We're going to pray. I'm just going to pray for somebody sitting beside you, so grab their hand. And this, this is, we're going to pray two things, actually. Okay? We're going to pray that, um, we're going to pray for them, but we're also going to pray for us. And we're, we're going to start by praying for us. Lord, I want to be peace. I want to be joy to somebody. I want to be the love of Christ to somebody. And then we're going to pray for the person sitting next to us. You don't know what they're going through, or you may you're going to pray, Lord, bring peace into their heart and their spirit right now. Bring peace into their mind. Let them have joy. Let them have joy that flows out of your love that nothing else but your love can bring. We're going to pray that. But first we're going to pray for ourselves, then we're going to pray for them. Okay? Let's do that. God, we submit ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, you came to this earth and you took on human flesh so I could know you, not just about you so I could know you so I could know your grace 
so I can know your love, your forgiveness. Jesus, help me to know you. Help me to not just to know about you or to know church or to know religion, but Jesus, help me to know you. I need you. Jesus, help me to be a carrier of this. Help me to be a carrier of your love. Specifically this week, God, I believe you're going to put people in in moments and circumstances where they can talk to a family member or a friend at work. And they're going to have that, that supremely appointed, divinely appointed moment where they can let somebody know how much you love them. God, help them to see it coming. Lord, help them to be carriers of your love, Jesus. Help them to be carriers of your peace and your joy. Help them to be carriers of the amazing story of who you are. Jesus, we understand by faith that you're going to be standing right there. That you are God with us right now. You're going to be standing right there. God, I pray for every other person in this room. Lord, as everybody in this room is praying for those on their right and their left, Lord, bring peace to them. Somebody in this room is struggling, Lord, let them know they don't have to keep struggling, that you're the answer. You're the answer right now, instantaneously. You're the answer right now. That you can bring peace deep into their spirit. It won't even make sense, but you can bring peace into the mind, slow their, their thinking down, put their thinking on track with you. Take all the stuff away. The busyness, the anxieties, the frustrations. Just flood in with your peace. Flood into their spirit. The way they feel. And Lord, I pray that every one of us in here, that your joy will be our strength. That your joy will be our strength. Not all the stuff, not all the the, the money, the, the retirements, the jobs, the relationships, all the stuff, but Jesus, your joy will be our strength. Lord, let this Christmas season be one for every one of us. Let this Christmas season be a refreshing time, a fulfilling time, a relational time, connecting time with you and with other people. And Jesus, I pray that people get saved this Christmas through us, that people will get saved this Christmas. We thank you. Jesus. Now let me ask you, um, how many of you would be open to, I I don't want to make this like a black cloud over you, but how many of you would be open to thinking about looking for an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus Christmas? This is sometime this season. If you'll talk to God about that, if you'll just tell him that, he'll give you that chance. You know that. He'll give you the opportunity. Just look for it. Just be open, be thinking. When you're sitting around with all the family, pray positively for them. I know some of you are like, I don't know. I... <laughs> Just pray positively and pray, God, give me a chance to speak your love into somebody's life. 
Just give me the chance. He'll do it. You know he will. You know he will. Look for the moment. God will bless you for it. All right? Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how good looking that they are. And uh, we will see you guys Christmas Eve here, the church. Have a great rest of your day. Shepherds bowing in the moonlight. Angels dancing in the